Four. There's a passel of children this morning. And fortunately, a passel of uh, teachers and helpers and parents as well. We're in John chapter 17 this morning as we continue our study of the life of Jesus. This began about, uh, gracious, three years ago when the, uh, we had that time in our, our country where the, the COVID thing was going on and we decided, listen, it's, we need to focus on Jesus. If there was ever a time that we needed uh, a clear view of Christ and who Jesus is, and what spiritual blessings he affords us, it's now. And I think we're 150 sermons or so into that study. Isn't it wonderful? <laughs> it just goes on and on. So uh, we're in John 17. And what we find here is something that uh, we don't find on every page of the Gospels. In fact, John, the apostle, gives us a glimpse into a lot that Jesus taught and a lot of the works that he did. And then John takes us uh, really into the mind of Christ when it comes to prayer. Yeah, John 17 is known as the high priestly prayer of Jesus. Uh, yeah, the whole chapter is Jesus praying to the Father. And it's for our instruction, our encouragement. Uh, as, we, as we look at the, the prayer, the disciples were there uh, for the prayer that Jesus offered the Father. Um, they were able to record this prayer. Uh, it's important to note that the next day Jesus will suffer and die on the cross. He'll die for your sins and my sins. He'll shed his blood. So our interest is piqued because... He's, he knows he will die. He's going to offer himself and he's praying to the father. And, and our interest it lies in what did he pray? Well, it would encourage you, I think, to know that he prayed for his own. It should encourage you today to know that when Jesus faced death, he was praying in particular for his disciples. His disciples then and his disciples now. And that shows up in the prayer. That you are included, if you know Jesus, you are included in this prayer. 
Such a powerful prayer. And then what he prays for us uh, demonstrates the priorities that Jesus has for his followers. Lots of encouragement here. What we'll do is we'll start here in verse 13 and read through the, the end of the chapter, verse 26. This is the last part of the prayer, the important part of the prayer. Um, one other thing, it's important to note that Jesus prays to the Father. You know, there's folks around that pray to a lot of different things. I mean, it, it does give new meaning. If you don't know someone, they say they're praying for you. You know, well, who are you praying to? And what are you praying? Uh, Jesus, I also think he gives us a glimpse of his high priestly ministry here. He prays here on earth. Uh, but we know from Hebrews chapter seven twenty five that at the right hand of the father, he daily lives to make intercession for his own. So he's praying for his own and he's praying for his own because he loves them. He intends to take care of them. And this all shows up in the prayer. So let's read there in verse 13 and following. But now I come to you. And these things I speak in the world so that they may have my joy made full in themselves. I've given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. For their sakes, I sanctify myself that they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory which you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one just as we are one, I in them and you in me, 
that they may be perfected in unity so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me be with me where I am so that they may see my glory, which you have given me. For you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, although the world has not known you, yet I have known you. And these have known that you sent me. And I have made your name known to them and will make it known so that the love with which you loved me may be in them, and I in them. The word of the Lord. Father in heaven, we thank you for this uh, wonderful prayer offered by your son to you right before, the day before he gave his life for us on the cross. Lord, give us uh, understanding of this prayer and may it be so. And uh, Lord, your blessing be upon each one. Uh, There's a lot of adults here this morning. There's uh, young adults and, and teenagers and and, and, and children, and God, our prayer is that each one in this place knows you. That each one has the assurance of heaven. And so, Lord, use, uh, use this passage, use this word to help us in that. We pray in Jesus' name, amen and amen. So look at 13 there. Uh, I'm preaching out of the New American Standard Bible 1995. The reason I say that is because from time to time, folks want to know what, what Bible does the preacher use. And then this time of year, some are interested in Bibles as Christmas gifts and this and that. And uh, so it's an NASB 1995. And the 1995 is not the price, but the year. <laughs> And, uh, and the year's important because anything after that, they tend to, this is more accurate right here. And that's why we use this version. There are other good versions, uh, not to disparage any right now, but just this is, this is the, the uh, copy that we, that we use. So Jesus says, I come to you. He's coming to the Father and he's coming in prayer. And we know that he's praying for his own. So he takes a particular interest in his own. There are those who don't know Christ um, and he's interested in them to save them. But he's praying for those who are already in the fold. Those who are already walking with Jesus. And it's interesting what he says here because... I would, I would have probably said it at the end, but he says it at the beginning. And these things I speak in the world. And that's where he is, right? The world of, of time and space. 
He's, uh, he's in the world system, but he's not of the world, but he is in the world. So that they may have, they being disciples, those who love Jesus, that they may have my joy made full in themselves. So that's why he spoke. That's why he taught. That's why this Bible was canonized. That's why we carry a copy so we could know the the words of Jesus, the teachings of Jesus, because as we as we attain or as we grasp that spiritual knowledge, the Bible, the knowledge of God, the knowledge of his son, Jesus, then he says that they may have my joy made full in themselves. And even as we read this, I'm aware of the fact that there are there are plenty of folks within the church and without the church who are living their daily life in quiet desperation, void of any joy of God in their life, in their soul, in their heart. And, and that is antithetical to the purpose of God who says... Jesus says these words that they, these things I speak in the world, his teachings, so that they may have my joy made full in themselves. This joy is is far deeper and greater than worldly happiness. Happiness that depends on circumstances. If things are going right, then, hey, you know, I'm happy. But that, if you graph that, you're up and down and up and down, if not on a daily basis, an hourly basis, because things do go up and down and your circumstances change in life. But Jesus wants you to have something deeper than that. Deeper than temporary happiness. He wants you to have permanent joy. And there's only one way to permanent joy, and that's in Jesus. You know, you can pursue the things of life and the things of the world. But the writer of Ecclesiastes said it best. It's all vanity. It's all dust in the wind. It will, it'll rust. It'll rot. There's no permanence there. The permanence is in knowing Christ, your Lord and Savior. The permanence is in hearing his word and instruction and allowing him to impart the joy that Jesus has in your life. And that joy is this. My circumstances are going to change. They're going to fluctuate. They're going to go up, they're going to go down, but the joy of the Lord sustains me. And the joy of the Lord is, is not, does not reflect my circumstances. I can rejoice in the Lord when my circumstances are down. I can rejoice in the Lord when my circumstances are up. Because the Lord, not my circumstances, is the constant in my life. He is the permanence 
of my life. And I can shed tears, but I can still have joy. I can experience the sorrow of losing a loved one, but I can still have the joy of the Lord knowing that he has all things under his power. He is sovereign, not only of my life, but he's sovereign over this world that he created. We just read that a while ago in Colossians. In him, all things consist. So it's this joy uh, that, that Jesus wants his disciples, his followers to possess. And then he goes on, he says, uh, I've given them your word. That's what we've been talking about, the teaching. Where, the, where do you go to find the teachings of Jesus? You go to the Bible. Uh, you can, uh, you know, we can talk about the stories of Christ. We can talk about the things of the Bible. We can quote a verse or two. But the best thing to do is just to open the Bible. This is the word of God. It's, uh, it's infallible. It's, it's inerrant. Um, it's, it's the engrafted word able to save our, our soul. The word of God's like a fire that refines, that burns out the impurities of our life. The word of God's like grain that nourishes our life, spiritually nourishes our life. You know, the word of God's like a sledgehammer that, that breaks apart the hard heart. That's the word of God. That's the power of the word. And that's what Jesus is referring to here. I have given them your word. He says, and the world has hated them. Do you get that? Don't expect the world, the world, those of the world system to like you. And that's a, that's a problem for some Christians. Why? Because they want to be liked. I want to be liked. I want to be, I want to be accepted in the world, in the world system. Well, Jesus said, if you live according to his word, if you receive his word, if you follow Jesus, they're going to hate you just like they hated him. He says, uh, because they are not of the world. That's why. The followers of Jesus are not of the world. Yeah, we have to navigate this world system. We have to make decisions. But our allegiance is not to the world system. Our allegiance is to God Almighty and his son, Jesus. And we should remember that. We are in this world. We are not of this world. He says, because they are not of the world, even as I, this is verse 14 there at the end, even as I am not of the world. And then he gets in more further into the prayer here. Verse 15. He says, I do not ask you. And he's talking to the father to take them out of the world. Now that would have been interesting if he had asked the father to take us out of the world. But he says, I'm not asking you to do that. He says, but to keep them from the evil one. So we all want an outline. Even the preacher wants an outline from time to time. Uh, the first request here in this portion of scripture, in this part of the prayer would be right there in verse 15. It's interesting that Jesus says what he's not asking for. 
He says, I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but what is he asking the Father to do? To do for the disciples, to do for those who believe in him. He says, but to keep them from the evil one. So Jesus recognizes that this world system is evil. There, there is uh, the world, the flesh, the devil. Jesus recognized that this is an evil world in which we live. Do we need to take 10 minutes to, uh, to demonstrate that? Well, not yet. But he's, he is praying that the Father will keep them, keep the disciples, keep the believers from the evil one. So that we would be in the world, but not of the world. And that we would not conform to the world mentality or the world's worldview or the world's opinions. He says, I'm asking you to keep them from the evil one. I like that prayer request. Can you, can you see the concern that Jesus has for those he loves? Can you, can you, can you feel or resonate with the concern that Jesus has for his disciples. He knows that the disciples are in the world and as such are not beyond being affected by the evil one. That's true. We're vulnerable in this world. Because there are people who do not like God, do not like the church. In fact, Jesus uses a stronger word. He uses the word hate. So Jesus is praying for our protection from evil. That's number one. Uh, I love that. He's, uh, he's, a, he's a wonderful savior. And he's interested in the protection of those that he came to save. It reminds me of chapter 10, the the good shepherd. Jesus is the good shepherd of the sheep. I think that's a wonderful illustration of the the desire uh, of Jesus to protect his flock. Jesus, the, the, the great shepherd, desires his flock to be protected that they wouldn't be consumed or torn apart by wild animals, wolves and such, but that they would be protected. And Jesus is asking the Father to protect his flock, to protect his people. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. That's number one. Verse 16, they're not of the world. He says it again. They're not of the world. Well, what are we of? We're of God. We're of the Savior. We've been born from heaven. We've been born of the Spirit. We've been born again. We're not of the world. We're of God. 
We're not of man's invention. We're not a product of the world system. We've been born from above. That's what he's saying here. He says, even as I am not of the world. And then here's number two. Prayer request number two is a powerful request. And he says it twice. There in verse 17, also verse 19. He says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Okay, step back. He's praying that the Father would keep us set apart. Sanctify means to set apart. Um, Some of you have, uh, well, like at home. I don't know if you're like this, but we got got the paper plates. You can use them anytime. And then we got some Christmas dishes. They're set apart. The big difference. You're set apart by God. And he wants to keep you set apart. So he prayed that you would be, you would be protected from the evil one. And then he prays, sanctify them or set them apart or keep setting them apart. And how does he do that? This is very enlightening because the second request really informs us on the first request. And, you know, this just, and it just hit me yesterday. I was thinking about this. This request there in verse 17 informs us on how, how in the world the father would keep us from the evil one. I mean, how's that going to happen? Well, right there it is. He says, sanctify them. Keep them set apart from what? From the world system, the world attitude, the worldly wisdom, all these worldly conventions, all these worldly inventions, the attitude of the world. He says, sanctify them in what? In the truth. Your word is truth. So, So Jesus prays that we'll be sanctified, set apart to the truth. So I'm not going to be, you know, my Bible is not going to be separate from my life. I'm going to bring the truth into my life. I'm not just going to carry it, by the way. I'm going to read it and I'm going to pray it. And as you read and as you pray God's truth, as he gives you greater light into the meaning of his truth, um, he, he is going to use that to protect you from the evil one. Because there's no protection if you follow the deceiver. Who is the deceiver? The deceiver is Satan. The deceiver is the devil. I mean, look over here in uh, 2 Corinthians 11. We got time for this. You're so attentive this morning. Second uh, Corinthians 11 and verse three, we're talking about how he, Jesus sets us apart and the setting apart has to do with truth. And then Jesus says, he tells us what truth is. He doesn't leave that to our own 
uh, you know, okay, well, what is, what is truth? Man has been asking that for a long time. All I had to do is read uh, John 17 and what is it? Verse 17, I guess. Yeah, there it is. Sanctify them in truth. Thy word is truth. So this word is truth. So here we are in 2 Corinthians 11. You're there and I'm looking. He says, but I'm afraid. This is Paul and Paul didn't fear much. Right? I mean, the guy, uh, he's, he's stoned and left for dead. He's whipped. He's rejected. He's jailed. But he's right here. He says, I'm afraid. That's interesting. I wonder what he's afraid of. Verse 3, he says, but I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. And to the extent that we ignore the truth, we are more vulnerable to be led astray by the deceiver, the enemy, uh, and to follow assumptions of man, uh, to follow uh, speculations of man. Uh, there's another uh, same chapter, same, same book, letter, 2 Corinthians 11, we read verse 3. Um, where was that other one? Oh, the, oh, yeah, there it is, verse 14. No wonder. Verse 14, 2 Corinthians 11. No wonder, he says, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So there's the, there's the deceptive nature of things. And there's deception all over the place. The only way uh, to... Avoid the deception that is in the world that is hatched out by the devil is to remain in the truth. To be sanctified in the truth. To hear the truth. To read the truth. To bring the truth into your life and to live by the truth. I mean, we live in a day and age. Listen. Okay. Say, What's that mean? Well, practically speaking, here's what it means. Since I believe the truth of the Bible, I believe that God Almighty created the heavens and the earth in six days. And on the seventh day, he rested. I believe God, the Bible says that God created male and female. He told Jeremiah, before you were born, I knew you in the womb. So I reckon that means that God had a design for every person. But we live in a world that would try to counter all that. They'd say, well, you know, that's, that's really silly that you believe that God created in six days and then rested on the seventh. Because the world says, and our education system so often says, that it took God long periods of time. And he just superintended those epics or eras. And he worked, hey, the Bible says he created in six days. The Hebrew word for day is yom, easy word. Why couldn't God Almighty transcend it, dwelling in inapproachable light? How could he not just speak a word and create? And then what did the writer of Hebrews say? Over in Hebrews 11, verse 3. 
Hebrews 11, verse 3. He says, by faith, we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. So faith comes in. We're either going to trust God or not trust God. We decide to trust God because he said, sanctify them in the truth. We're going to believe the truth. We're going to believe the biblical record of the creation of heaven and earth. And beyond everything that God has created, visible and invisible, that he is the source of all creation. And that he created them male and female. And that he intended, God's intent was one man and one woman married for life. But what does man want to do? Man wants to reconfigure. Man wants something of his own invention. Well, we choose to believe the truth. And when you believe the truth and walk in the truth and you believe the truth, listen, he says, you're, you're going to be sanctified. You're going to be set apart. Not everybody believes that. That may not be uh, the most popular thing to believe in this world. I'll just say it, it will not be popular. But it is the word of God. The truth and the truth about Jesus. The truth about who Christ is. Who is he? He's the way, the truth, and the life. He's the one that came and lived sinlessly. He's the one born of a virgin. He he spoke the words of the Father and he did the works of the Father while here on earth. Then he went to the cross and he died on the cross. There suspended between earth and, and heaven. There he was shedding his blood on a cross to redeem us from sin. Jesus died on that cross as proof uh, the soldiers didn't break his legs. Customarily, they broke the legs of the victim who was crucified to expedite their death. But they got to Jesus. He was already dead. There was no reason to break his legs. So they just took him down from the cross and put him in a tomb uh, and rolled a stone over that tomb and sealed the tomb with the official Roman seal. And three days later, he rose from the dead and he lives forevermore. And you either believe that this morning or you don't believe it. And if you don't believe it, I trust that you will believe it. I'd love to talk with you about that belief in Christ and dedicating your life to Jesus, the one who died for you. Sanctify them in the truth. So here's the deal. When we become believers in Jesus... We gravitate not away from the truth, toward the truth. That's why we constantly open our Bibles. That's why we believe in private devotions. That's why we believe in coming together as a corporate body and reading the scriptures and being encouraged in the truth. Sanctify them in the truth. And by the way, that's the only way to be sanctified is in the truth. Your word is truth. And you know, here... We may as well say it. We're living in a day and age. Uh, there's a lot of churches that, that don't believe this. There's a lot of churches that just want to, you know, they just want to tickle the fancy of those who attend. So we're, you know, turn the lights off and offer a little smoke, tell a few stories. No, 
No, our, 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 our job, our desire is to bring the truth, is to open the word of God. Smoke ain't going to save you. The word of God. Yeah, that's what we need. So sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. I think we've got that memorized by now. Verse 17, as we go on, as you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. So that's interesting. Jesus is sending his people into the world. But we're not of the world. We're being sanctified in the truth. The truth about God, the truth about ourselves, that we're sinners and we have no hope of eternal life apart from Jesus. He is the only hope. Conforming to the truth is our only hope. He says, for their sakes, there it is in verse 19, I sanctify myself that they themselves also may be, there it is, sanctified in truth. That's so important. The truth will set you apart. The truth is a protection to you and to me as we walk this sod. He says, I do not ask on behalf of these alone. Here it is. You say, well, where do I fit into all this? Right there it is in verse 20. Jesus says, I don't, I don't ask on behalf of these alone. These alone being the disciples then. The disciples who were in the room with him. But he says, but for those also who will believe in me through their word. So Jesus recognized that the disciples that were there then would speak the word. Others would be brought to Christ. We have benefited by the word of those disciples, by the word of those apostles. We have been saved and Jesus includes those who would hear their word and receive Christ. That they may all be one. There's prayer request number three, that we would all be one. One in what? One in truth. One in truth. And this is not to suggest that we're supposed to find the least common denominator concerning the Bible with other believers in order to fellowship with them. Meaning, uh, just because a a church calls themselves a church or just because a, a person says they're a Christian does not mean that's what they are or that's what that person is. Did that make sense? You really have to have their attitude toward the truth. What's their attitude toward the truth? What do you believe about Jesus? That's what's important. And then he says that they may all be one. United around what? The truth. United around the Bible. What the Bible says. Even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. Now, verse 22, there's one more request. It's a beautiful request. I love it. He says, the glory which you have given me, I've given to them, that they may be one just as we are one. So there again, he prays for this spiritual unity among believers. He says, I in them and you in me, that they may be perfected in unity so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them 
even as you have loved me. That's, that's a lofty thought that the father would love us even as he loved the son. The great love of God that we would begin to comprehend the great love of God for us. Father, he says, I desire that they also whom you have given me. By the way, I think that's the fifth time in this chapter that Jesus makes reference to the fact that the father gives the son those who would be saved. Very interesting. We don't talk about that a lot, but right there in this chapter, it's I think five times. You can check me on that starting with verse one and reading through. He says, um, I in them and you in me that they may be perfected in unity so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you have loved me. I already read that, but it's worth reading again. We'll go on to verse 24. Father, here it is. I desire that they also whom you have given me be with me where I am. Where's Jesus? Where is he right now? I mean, he's alive and well. Where is he? He's at the right hand of the Father. He is in glory. He is in heaven. That's where he is. And he just prayed that those whom the Father has given him would be with Jesus, be with him where he is. He's not on earth. He is in heaven. So he is praying ultimate, for our ultimate salvation, that we would receive our glorified bodies, that we would be with him in all eternity, that, that we would fellowship with him in heaven. What a prayer request. So that they may see my glory. One day, we'll see the glory of Jesus. We sang about it a while ago. It's hard to put in human words what that moment would be like. But one day, we will see his glory. He says, the glory which you have given me, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. And then he concludes the prayer, O righteous Father, although the world has not known you, Yet I have known you, and these have known that you sent me, and I have made your name known to them, and will make it known, so that the love with which you loved me may be in them. That's a lot of love. That's a high quality of love. He says, and I in them. So he prays for our protection. He prays that we'll be sanctified in truth. That means that we'll be set apart to the truth, that we will be in the truth, that we will be of the truth, that we would stand for the truth while we're in this life. Then he prays that we'll be one. There'll be a spiritual unity around those who gravitate to the truth as it is in Jesus. And then he prays ultimately that you and I, those who have been set apart, those who have been protected, those who are unified, ultimately we would join him, join Jesus in glory. And we would live out eternity with Jesus. What a promise. What a prayer. I trust today, if you have never received Jesus as your Savior, the free pardon of sin that he offers, that you would receive him today.
that uh, you would receive joy on earth and that one day you would join him in heaven. And if you want to talk about that more, I'm available to talk about salvation with anyone who would want to uh, discuss that. Father in heaven, we thank you for Jesus, the prayer. We thank you that you heard the prayer and that you answer the prayer of Jesus. Now, Lord, there's a lot of spiritual work to be done. Continue to draw us to the truth. Continue to grow us in the truth, in the knowledge of you and Jesus. Lord, that we would glorify you in this life and that we would live eternally with you in the next. I pray for these uh, before me this morning, these teenagers that are here, the adults, the kids that have been in the, their classes. Lord, do a work. By your grace and mercy, work in the lives of your people, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.